Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. If you're not already there, I know that we uh, preached a whole series through the book of Philippians, and we, we took a little bit of a different slant from this passage that I'm going to take tonight. Um, but I want to come back to this because I believe that the Lord has laid this on my heart. As I've been praying for our church going through this, this new season, this new transition, there have just been passages of Scripture that the Lord has brought to my mind and brought to my heart, and this was one of them. And as I was looking back at, at my records, I saw that uh, I had preached this thought, this message, uh, five, a little over five years ago. It was on a Sunday night, the second time that I, the second message I ever preached here. So I think there were about 45 of us here that night. Uh, and so if you were here that night, you don't remember, do you? It's over five years ago. So it's new to all of us, even those who have already heard it. It's new to all of us tonight. But it's this thought that the Lord has brought back to my mind and that I want to share with us tonight. Chapter Two is really a continuation of the last section of chapter 1. And that's why the word therefore is in verse number 1. In fact, it, it could easily read, therefore, if there be any consolation in Christ. Without a doubt, as we read this here in just a moment, you're going to see that the theme is unity within the body of Christ, the church. And so I've entitled this little section tonight, We, Not Me. We, as a church body, not me individually. Paul is, if you remember, in prison in Rome, and he is writing back to the church at Philippi to ensure them that his joy is secure in Christ, no matter what situation he finds himself in. And he's also, in his absence, writing back to encourage the church at Philippi to remain unified in his absence. So with that in mind, let's just read the first five verses together this, this evening. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. I want to encourage you to underline or mark these words in verse number two, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to verse number two if we can, and I'd like for us to read it together aloud and loudly. Ready? Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Father, I pray that you would take the next few moments to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, to challenge us. We thank you, Lord, for where we have been, where we are, where we are going. Uh, and Lord, even as Andy was talking about them living by faith, I thought, you know, that's exactly what we're doing as well as we go into this new season. We are stepping out by faith. We thank you for what you're doing there. We thank you, thankful for what you're doing here. And we pray, Lord, that you will build up something there in Cincinnati for your glory, for your honor. That is something that only you can get credit for and glory for. And we pray, Lord, that you will use Andy and Karen and their family there. 
And Lord, we pray that as we go through this transition as a church, this, this season of change and growth, that you would help us, Lord, to stay focused on eternal things, on the real purpose, and Lord, that we would stay unified, one heart, one soul, one mind as we go through it. We pray all this in Christ's precious name, amen. As you read through the book of Philippians, there, there really is no doctrinal charge in the book of Philippians. And this was a church that was very strong doctrinally. More than likely, any disunity that would come up in the church at Philippi would not be the result of doctrinal differences. They, they were much like the church at Ephesus. And the, what the Bible tells us about the church at Ephesus is that they did not endure false teaching. They were a hard-working group of people. They had right doctrine. They were a passionate church about the truth. And I would say that about Faith Baptist Tabernacle. It is a passionate church about the truth. They are what we would consider a healthy church. They're evangelistic. They're doctrinally strong. They're, they're emphasizing teaching and discipleship. And yet there was great concern in the heart of the Apostle Paul that there remain a spirit of oneness, a spirit of unity and like-mindedness. William Barclay said this, There is a sense in which disunity is a great danger in every healthy church. It is when people are really earnest, when their beliefs really matter to them, when they are eager to carry out their own plans, that they are most apt to get up against each other. The greater their enthusiasm and passion, the greater the danger that they may collide. And I think that's a good way to put it. When you're passionate about something, it is easy, if we're not careful and guarded, for disunity to find its way in. And again, you say, why are you preaching this message? And I'll say, like I said last week, there is, to my knowledge, no disunity within our church body. In fact, quite the opposite. People ask me, how are things going? And I, every time I say, I thank God that God has given us a spirit of unity and has brought together a diverse body that is working together and striving together for the gospel. So again, this is preventative in nature. It is not because there is a problem. It's because we want to we want to fight this off before we encounter it, right? We want to be aware of it before it comes. We want to be on guard so that it does not distract what God is doing. But the fact that we are a zealous and a passionate people, which we are, may make us prone, more prone to disunity. There's no doubt as you read through the book of Philippians that Paul's greatest concern for the church at Corinth was that they remain unified in purpose and in progress. And Paul's plea to the church there is to be believers, as you noticed in verse number 2, that are like-minded and that are lowly-minded. Would you say those two words with me? Like-minded and lowly-minded. I believe as far as our community goes that our diversity as a church represents pretty well the diversity of our community. Uh, we have every generation here. We have those who grew up here. We have those who just have moved here in the last few years. We have those from different Christian backgrounds. 
some different ethnicities, those that are on different economic levels, all different social statuses. They all exist here. We all come together to worship together and to serve together. And a church that is diverse in these ways with a variety of different ministries, which we have here at Faith Baptist Tabernacle, is a healthy church, but it is also a church that is at great risk at the same time. Because diversity by its own nature can produce division and discord. And so if you back up to the section leading up to chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, Paul encourages the church, strive together in the midst of exterior threats, persecution that was coming into the church. In chapter 2, the passage that we just read, Paul encourages the church to guard not against external threats, but against internal threats that may come up within the church. The internal threat of disunity. And we talk about this for the same reason that Paul was passionate about it, because discord strikes a deadly blow, and we've all seen that, haven't we? Discord and disunity strikes a deadly blow to the cause of the gospel in the church. John MacArthur said this, my greatest hatred in the church is apathy. As a pastor, I can say amen to that. Our greatest hatred is an apathetic mentality. He said, but my greatest fear is disunity. No matter how zealous, loving, courageous, passionate, sympathetic, or prayerful a church is, there is still the lurking danger of discord. And so in these five verses, Paul gives us a formula for spiritual unity that I want you to jot down. If you have the the sermon guide, and I hope that you do, I hope that you will take notes, keep this somewhere where you can review it often. Paul is pleading for unity in chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, and now he gives us the practical steps. How can we implement unity? How can we make sure that we are a people of unity? And when I think of this passage, I also think think of a parallel passage that is given in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just read it for you. Beginning in verse number 1, Paul again writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Notice how, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says there is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And I, notice, I know you notice the word what in that section? One. One. One Father, one Lord, one baptism. Paul is calling for Christians to act like Christians, to walk worthy of the vocation. And we do that by characterizing humility and gentleness and patience with one another. Paul says that this person does all that they can, this type of person does all that they can to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So notice this evening, I'll go as quickly as I can, and if we don't finish, we'll finish next week, all right? Number one, the encouragement for unity. The encouragement for unity. Paul lays out here the motivation behind the unity. The why. This is the why. Why should we give priority to unity in the church? 
Why should we strive together? Why should we do all that we can to eliminate conflict within the body of Christ? Why should we strive to have one spirit? First of all, let us establish this, that the church and its unity was of utmost importance to Jesus Christ. And how many of you would say if it's important to Jesus, it ought to be important to us? If he loved the church and he gave himself for the church and he decided, Brother John, that the church is going to be the vehicle in which I am going to use to spread the gospel in a community and around the world and I love it, I give myself for it, then how many of you would say we need to protect it then? We need to love it as Jesus loved it. And these are the truths here that should compel us to unity as a church body. Here's what he says. If we have received encouragement from Christ. How many of you have received encouragement from Christ? If we have received encouragement from Christ. If we have received the consolation of love. How many of you have been on the receiving end of the love of Jesus Christ? If you've received that, if you have received the fellowship of the Spirit, aren't you thankful for the the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day? He ministers to us. He lives in us. He says, if you've received the fellowship of the Spirit, if you've received compassion and affection from God, then Paul says, I encourage you to make unity in the church a priority. Jesus prayed this for his believers in John 17. He said, That they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world, notice this, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. I want them to see the unity of the body of Christ just like God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son are one. I want them to see that kind of unity in the body of Christ. In fact, I've told you this before, but he goes on to say in John 13, verse 35, that he gave the world one thing which they could judge the church on. And it wasn't our doctrine. It wasn't all the things that we believe, but it was our love one for another. Because honestly, when they're out there looking in at our lives, they don't really care that much what we believe. But he says this in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This is how they are going to judge us. And Paul is really asking, are you willing to take encouragement and love and fellowship and affection and compassion from Jesus? Are you willing to take all these things From Christ, but not willing to give back unity to that which he loves, the church. The grace that we have received and the forgiveness that we have received should stimulate us to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Again, MacArthur says our sin against the unity of the church is not primarily a sin against unity as an entity. It is not primarily a sin against the church as an organization. It is a sin against our intimate, personal relationship to Christ. And it is the ultimate act of ingratitude to one who unceasingly has poured out both encouragement and love into our life since the moment we were saved. Listen, that's a powerful statement. 
Because when we start to allow disunity to rise up in us, what Paul is saying is, think back to the encouragement that you have received. Think back to the love that you have received. Think back to the fellowship that you have through the Holy Spirit. And let this be a motivator for you to give priority to unity within the body of Christ. He's calling for a response, really, of appreciation. It's not a plea full of threats, but rather a plea of personal examination. Then he adds one more motivator in verse number two, and I really do believe that this is secondary to the first motivator by far. The first motivator is is by far more important than the second one, but he adds this, and I think we need to mention it because it's here in the text. He says here, if you are really concerned, remember he is in prison in in Rome, and they are in Philippi, and you remember that I have told you, those of you that were here for the study of Philippians, that there was a great bond between the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi. They loved each other deeply, and so he adds this in. If you're really concerned about my joy as your spiritual leader, this would, he says, this would make my joy complete to know that you are living and serving in unity. Again, very secondary to the first. Paul and the church, they they loved each other deeply. And Paul says, if you really want to ensure my joy while I'm here in prison, then let me hear that there is great unity in the church at Philippi. Hebrews chapter 13 also speaks of this in verse number 17 when it speaks of pastors. And it says, they, pastors, spiritual leaders, watch for your souls as they that must give an account. And then it says this, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, to the church at Thessalonica, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Know them which labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then he closes with this, and be at peace among yourselves. I can testify to what Paul is saying. There is very little that you can give me that would mean more to me than unity within the body of Christ as we strive together for the gospel. If you want to give me $10,000 or unity, no, give me unity every time. Give me unity every time. Because the heart of a pastor is that we see the gospel go forth, that we see Christians grow in their faith, and we know that there's nothing any more destructive than that than the disease of disunity that can come into the body of Christ. If you want to give 10,000 and unity, that's great too, but the encouragement for unity, right? You see it there, verses 1 and 2? Let me challenge you. To unity because of these things. Secondly, the explanation of unity is found in verse number two. And this answers not the why, but the what. What is unity? And there's three great explanations here, and really they overlap. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the second and third one, but I do want to spend a good amount of time on the first one in that little phrase there in your Bible, like-minded. Paul calls for them To be unified in their thinking. And I know what you're saying. That's impossible. With a bunch of people, with 350 people, for us to all be unified in our thinking. 
Stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be, notice the phrasing, perfectly joined together in the same what? Mind. And in the same judgment. Let me ask you something. If the command is given to us in the scripture to be of one mind, to be like-minded, then through the Spirit of God, can 350 people be like-minded? Amen. We can. It's a oneness of attitude. And that's what he's speaking here. Notice the word mind in, in verse number five. Let this mind, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a call for common concern. It's a call for common understanding. And we know this. This is a tall order for a bunch of sinners. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a tall order for a bunch of sinners who come together from all different backgrounds, who serve in all different ministries. Listen, we all have our idea of what the most important things are and, and whether we should have pews or chairs or whether our music, we like that song but we didn't like. We all have our own preferences. We all have those things that we think should be a priority. But this one attitude is, is only a reality when believers supernaturally, not by our own ability, not by our human nature, but supernaturally by the Spirit of God that we lay aside any selfish agenda and think together, say, how do we have one mind? We think together about the priority of gospel advancement and God's glory. And that's the priority in our hearts. Again, it's only accomplished as we walk under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Did you know this? That as a Christian, we can either walk under the leadership of the Holy Spirit or we can walk under the leadership of our flesh. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 in verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. We saw that come out in the apostles this morning, didn't we? And their request to Jesus to be made prominent in the kingdom of heaven. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. We can either think with the spirit or we can think with the flesh. And if we are going to be a body that is unified, then we must think together on the things of God. We must have spiritual thoughts. We must get ourselves out of the way. Our thinking must, must have the guardrails of Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8, which says, whatever is true and honest and just and pure and lovely and a good report, think on these things. Romans 12, 3, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or with sound judgment, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Romans 15, 5, here it is again. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be, here's the word again, like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So it's not impossible for us to come together with one mind 
1 Corinthians 2.16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. For we have the mind of Christ. We can have the selfless attitude of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the very next verse after that one that I just read that says that we can have the mind of Christ, you know what Paul said to them? He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. But, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You know what he's saying? This, this spiritual immaturity, this walking under the leadership of our flesh and not the spirit is evidenced by division and jealousy and strife. And at the end of this letter to the Corinthians, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be mature. Be of good comfort. And then he says this along the same lines. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. What's he saying? Their maturity is marked by their unity and selfless attitude. As we grow in Christ, as we become mature in Christ, then the unity of the the gospel becomes more important to us than any selfish thing that we might want or prefer in and of ourselves. So let us think mature thoughts. Let us think selfless thoughts. Let us think spiritual thoughts. How do we do that? How are we able to accomplish that? Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12 through 16, where Paul instructs us in relationship with our relationships within the church. That's the context here. Our relationships with your brothers and sisters sitting around you tonight is the context. So listen to what he says. He says, put on therefore, in these relationships, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. That's the, that's the word for compassion. Put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humbleness of mind. Put on meekness. Put on long-suffering. Put on some forbearance. Forbearing with people. And put on some forgiveness. How many of you thought if we got up every day and before we came to church or before we were around our brothers and sisters in Christ, we went into our spiritual closet and we put on some compassion and we put on some kindness and we put on some humbleness of mind and we put on some meekness and some long-suffering and we added some forbearance onto it and then we wrapped it up with some forgiveness and we came to church. How many of you think that church could dwell together in unity? Absolutely. We set aside selfish ambitions. He says, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know Ephesians 4.32 gives us a standard for our forgiveness, right? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's a pretty high standard. And he says, and above all these things, Before you walk out the door, put on love. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And then listen how he closes this up, because this is so important. How are we going to do all that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. These are the attitudes that lead to congregational unity. And the key to having those attitudes resides in that last, in that last verse, in the first phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be immersed in the word of God. Spend time in the word of God. Don't come in here clothed in carnality, clothed not being in your Bible, not being in a spirit of prayer, uh, and coming in here with selfish agendas and, and things that you wish were differently. No, come in here with compassion and kindness and forgiveness and forbearance and then put on some love and come in here and watch what God can do. Be like-minded. This, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, it means that the word of God dominates our thoughts and our attitudes. And disunity is a result of a failure to think on a divine, spiritual level. Be like-minded. Then he says, and I'll just mention this, have the same love. Have the same love. This deals with loving everyone the same. Now look, not just thinking alike, but loving alike. Avoiding favoritism within the body of Christ. Romans 12.10 says this, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Putting them above ourselves. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word. Don't just come in and say, I love you, brother. But when you have... When you see a brother or sister that is in need and God has blessed you to be able to meet that need, then put that love into action and show love to them. And, and not just the ones that you're really close to and not the ones that you have a lot in common with, but maybe the ones that you don't know very much about, but you see that they have need. And I love this within, you, you know, sometimes as a pastor, Behind the scenes, you see a lot of things you don't like to see. You deal with a lot of things you don't like to deal with. But let me tell you, you also get to see some awesome things too. You get to see people call you up in the middle of the week like happened this week and say, Pastor Josh, I, I noticed this person and I was just wondering about a situation and could I help? Could I get them something? Could I buy them something that would help provide for them in this time of need? And you know what that does for my heart? It makes it burst with joy to see some lady, elderly lady, who saw a young man who nothing really in common with, but a burden and a love and a compassion and kindness and sympathy that says, I want to do something to help. That's what he's speaking of. This selfless love, it gives, it prefers. It's a decision, not an emotion. 
Love acts on behalf of someone else's need. How many of you had a need for eternal salvation? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Gave. That he gave his only son. Love acts on behalf of someone else's need. And so unity doesn't mean that we all like the same furniture. It doesn't mean that we all like the same music. It doesn't mean that we all like the same style of preaching or the same ministry. Unity comes in our diversity when the word of God dwells richly in us and we are walking not under the leadership of our flesh but under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and we are of the same mind and we have the same love with, uh, for our brothers and sisters in Christ and we have the same goal, the same purpose. And when this supernatural unity happens, this is what Jesus is talking about. These diverse people, all generations, different generations, not with one service for the young and one service for the old. No, together, standing side by side, singing songs of worship to the Lord. And then the people who grew up in Jamestown. If you grew up in Jamestown or this surrounding area, raise your hand. All right, I'm doing a quick scan. Is that less than half, you would say, Brother Steve? Less than half? All right, those of you that have moved in in the last 10 years, raise your hand. It's about half, actually, about half and half. And I'm in that second group. I'm thankful that we have a church that loves the newcomers because I am one. If you don't want the newcomers, you don't want me. I heard an amen back there. (laughs) Unity comes together in our diversity when the word of God dwells in us richly and we're walking under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So it's in our diversity. It's in the different generations. It's in the different people who've come from all over the United States and landed right here in Jamestown. It's it's the people who have a little bit different denominational background maybe than you do. And we have that here in our church of people who have gone to Southern Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, community churches, other evangelical churches, people who came here who were Catholic their whole life and and people who who have been saved and they're growing. And we have all this diversity. We even have a little ethnicity diversity, which isn't a lot in Jamestown, right? But... With all this together, how do, we, how do we come together and have one mind and one spirit? This is what is so attractive to the lost people. Not that you wear a suit on Sunday morning. They don't care that you wear a suit on Sunday morning. What they care about is how do all these people from different backgrounds and different ages How do they all come together and sing together and worship together and serve together and they're not always at each other's throat? That's what attracts lost people to Jesus Christ. And that's why God says, and Paul says, as I'm separated from you right now, there is one thing heavy on my heart. I know you're a doctrinally strong church. I know that you're a hardworking church, but there is one thing that is heavy on my heart, and that is that we guard, not that it's not there, 
And that's what I'm telling our church. It's not that I'm reprimanding you. Here's what I'm saying. Guard it. It's here. Guard it. Don't let it go. Prefer one another. Love one another. Have compassion for one another. And we'll save the rest of it for next Sunday night.